0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, Finding Your Christmas Story in Theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Well, Merry Christmas! It is good to see you here this evening. Now, I want to take you to my house uh, for what it looks like on Christmas morning. That's how we're going to begin this afternoon. In our home, what we do is we get up in the morning and we start with some warm cinnamon rolls. That's kind of our tradition. Kind of get that smell going in the house. Have some hot coffee. We turn on our favorite Christmas music, and then it's time. For presents, you guys like presents? No, really, do you like presents? Okay, good. Well, I got to tell you, that whole picture—the cinnamon rolls, the coffee, the music—kind of has that uh, that feel of like the Hallmark movie, doesn't it? Ah, has all the feels of the Hallmark Channel. But here's what's uh, what's also going on. When we get to that point where we're going to open presents that's when things get interesting. I mean, things get interesting in that moment because there's, there's certainly excitement because we don't know what's behind the, the wrapping paper. We're not familiar with what's going on there. But there's also, if you're an adult, there's also that twinge of anxiety, isn't there? I spend a lot of time shopping, picking out just the right thing, wrapping it up so it looks good, the presentation, and right here in that moment when the snowflake wrapping paper is being ripped off, the gift is exposed in the moment. It's a moment of truth, isn't it? How are they going to respond? How are my friends, how are my family, how are the people I love that I've invested time in, how are they going to respond to the gifts that I have given them? Do they even know what it is? How are they going to respond? That is what's happening in that particular moment. Now, the reality is in our family, and I'm sure this is probably true in yours, when you get a large group of people together, what happens is is you have people who respond to Christmas gifts differently, don't you? You have some that respond with amazement and joy. They are stoked. You got them a pair of socks. It is fantastic. And then you have others who think they're watching a golf match. That's nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But there's also another category. The people who are hiding their disappointment. (laughs) They wanted this, and you bought them that. This is not what I wanted. We all respond differently, don't we? Now, certainly, when we're talking about what we're responding to, it's the gift that matters in that moment, but I want to suggest to you today, and we're going to find this from the truth of God's Word, that there's more to it than just the object. It is the posture of our heart. It's the posture of our heart that we bring to that scenario, and that is exactly what we are going to be looking at today, the attitude of our heart pertaining to the greatest gift ever given. We're going to do that by looking at Matthew's gospel in just a moment, but before we turn there, would you pray with me? Gracious God, our heavenly Father, you have invited us here today on Christmas Eve to celebrate. To celebrate with friends, with family, with loved ones, and you have brought us here to engage with the reality of a baby born in a manger. You have invited us here to turn to Your Word, to see the truth that is represented on the pages of Scripture about what we can learn about this baby, about the responses that each of us give to that child. And God, as we examine our own hearts today, we are at the five o'clock service, and perhaps we've we've engaged with some Christmas activities already. Maybe this is the first thing. But wherever you find us today, in this moment, God, would you meet with us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you communicate truth to us through your word? God, we stand upon your word today as truth, and we need eyes to see it today. We need ears to hear it, and we need humble hearts to then live it out in real, tangible ways. So we ask for that in the power of your spirit, and it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, throughout the month of December, we have been examining the eyewitness accounts of the birth of Christ as is told in the Scriptures. We have looked at Matthew's Gospel, we have looked at Luke's Gospel, we have seen through the eyes of Mary, we've seen her perspective, we examine the life of Joseph, and Scripture doesn't teach us a lot about what Joseph actually says, but we do know how he responds and how his actions come as a result of Jesus. And then last Sunday, we looked at the shepherds. It's an interesting group of folks. Basically, what we've done is the nativity scene you have at your house, all of those little pieces are now coming together, and they're in play, and we are almost wrapping that up, but we have one other group to deal with, and that is the wise men. Today, we are going to turn our attention to the eyewitness account of what happens through the wise men. Now, as we do that, we're also going to see a few other people involved in that story. It's not just the wise men. We're going to encounter religious leaders. We're going to encounter a king by the name of Herod and the wise men. Now the wise men make it to the nativity, so they are pretty significant. We're going to talk about why 2,000 years later we're still calling them wise men. But we're going to do that later in our service today. So what I want you to do is go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, you can do so, or you can read along with me on the screen behind me. Again, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to pick up the story of the wise men with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come. We've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem was with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah. For so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Far from you shall come a. Excuse me. For from you you shall come a shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too, that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest upon the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search him uh, and destroy him. Then he rose and he took the child and his mother by night. And he departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men we'll stop there. Matthew offers all who read this gospel account in that story three specific responses, very different responses. And when we're talking about responses, they're responding in a particular way to the birth or the news of the birth of Jesus the Christ. Now, what we're going to find is those responses are not all that different from the responses that our family members had when we Gave them gifts. You're going to find some that respond with indifference. You're going to see that in the text. We're going to see another who shows a lot of energy and a lot of emotion. And still others who respond with gratefulness. All three of those responses are found in Matthew's story. So let's take a little bit of a deeper dive and see why these responses matter to you and to me today. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it actually matters for you and me today. So let's look at verses 1 through 6 a little more closely. And now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, that right there matters. The location matters. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? where is he who was born king of the Jews? Another phrase that matters. For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. That's why we're here. We're showing up so that we might worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was in fact to be born. And so they told him, They said, well, it's in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written in the prophets, by the prophet. So, what we want to make known here is that the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, speaks to the coming Christ. And they're telling him the dots are connecting. That's what's happening in this moment. And he says, and you in Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you... Shall come a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel. So that's the first six verses, and what we find in that passage is that Herod, in this moment, is troubled. He's troubled. He hears things. There's that phrase, king of the Jews. Well, this is a man who is in power, and so he's rattling around in his mind. He says, okay, wait a second. How can it be that the baby born in a manger is going to have power? Uh, This is not good. This is a threat to me. This is a threat to my seat of power. But King Herod doesn't know how to connect all the dots. He's not studied in the truth of the of the prophets. So you know what he does? He calls in some heavy hitters. He invites the religious experts of that time period. He calls in the chief priests. He calls in the scribes. And he says, hey, you guys have studied this. I need some insight. I need to understand what is happening around me. And so these are the guys who are the scholars who've invested their lives in the study of all of these prophetic things. And Herod needs answers. It might come as a surprise to us when we see that the response of the scholars, of what they've just communicated to King Herod, really is nothing more than a blip. The birthplace of the promised Messiah matches the details of the birth of Christ. So what's being told by the prophet is actually happening in this moment with the baby, And yet, the scholars, their response to the news of the birth of Christ, to the news of that connection, is apathy. Apathy. That's what we see in the life of the chief priests and the scholars in this moment. They respond to the earthly king, they give Herod his answer about the heavenly king, and they do both with indifference with a collective uh, yawn, they're apathetic. It's a little bit like the, the king calls them over and says, I have an issue. I need an answer. So, they're, they're knowledgeable. They've done their work. They clearly give the man the answer, and they go, there you go. I got to go back to studying. And then they go back and they dig in. Here's the irony. They're the ones that are supposed to know the significance of the baby. What they're studying is unfolding before them. And yet they miss it. They miss it. Now, for some of us here today, we could look at that and say, well, wow, they're scholars, they're studied, they're learned. How could they not know that? That is kind of a lame response, that they give an answer, and then they just go right back to their books. They go right back to their studies. How can that possibly be? We can kind of shake our heads and maybe even poke fun at their indifference. But if you and I are honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves this evening, the exact same thing can happen when it comes to our perspective and our viewpoint of Christmas. We've already heard the story of Jesus' birth. Uh. Oh, he was born of a virgin. So the birth was supernatural. That's nice. Oh, so what you're saying is that the prophecies in the Old Testament point to the reality of the coming Messiah, and, and, and they align. Huh, that's interesting. I'm going I'm to go back to doing what I'm doing. That's happening in our lives, even today. It's not just the scribes and the chief priests. The reality is many of you are here today, you've put on the red, you've put on the green, you look good, most of you. But you've lost the wonder. You've lost the awe. You've lost the power. You've lost the beauty of the world changing, life changing reality of Jesus, the baby. You've grown apathetic. You're so familiar with the story that it doesn't impact the way you view your world today. You'd say, I've heard it. I got it. I'm good. the heart grows apathetic. May I encourage you on this Christmas Eve, do not allow this to be just another Christmas, just another holiday. Use this time. Use the reality of the Word of God to reflect upon your own heart to reflect upon your own faith journey. Don't let Christmas pass without asking God to do a work in your heart and in your mind to change the reality of your view of the baby. Don't just blow past it. Some of us, if we're brutally honest, have come to church because someone else asked us, we don't even really want to be here. We're bored with the whole thing. The lights, the tree, the activities, the parties, whatever it might be, we're bored. Perhaps this Christmas... Perhaps tonight, this Christmas Eve, is when you come with an open-handed, open-hearted posture, and you ask God to change your heart posture. You say, I want to recognize and believe that He didn't just come as a baby, but He came as the God child. He came to live a perfect and holy life and then to sacrifice that life on a cross for my behalf and for yours. It is my hope that you would recognize that the baby gives you life so we can move off of apathy Right here on Christmas Eve 2021, Jesus inviting you and me to come to a point of humble faith, not apathy, so that we might experience the freshness of his love and of his grace and of his mercy and of his forgiveness tonight afresh. So don't allow this to be just another Christmas. Respond in faith to the God who loves you now, let's look back at our text. That's the first response. The first response is apathy. We get to the second response, and we're going to find that on ver- in, uh, beginning in verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, he summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them that what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, you guys go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may go and worship him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Seems a bit odd though, doesn't it? I mean, do most earthly kings you know, are they ready and eager to bow and worship another king? Seems a little sketchy, doesn't it? Like if there's any time where you're just kind of reading the story and you kind of get through this point, you kind of pause for a moment and go, The dots aren't connecting for me here. Something doesn't seem quite right. Well, you'd be right about that. Skip down to verse 13, and we're going to see King Herod's real heartbeat. And so now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Wow, that happened fast. One minute we were talking about worship, now we're talking about destroying him. And so, Joseph rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt. He did what the angel had told him to do. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And that was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Out of Egypt... Out of Egypt I call my son. And here's why that matters. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He became angry and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. He took what they brought, got some knowledge of the situation, and then went on a rampage. That's what is happening right here. King Herod's response is certainly not one of worship. The news of Jesus' birth brought Herod to the point of anger. Herod and his actions are filled with anger. He was angry that another king might be on the scene to take away his power. That there might be another king who would be called and calling people to a different kind of allegiance. So King Herod responds. He responds in anger. People die because of it. It's an ugly, deep-seated, paranoid anger that is on display that impacts the lives of children throughout the region. Why? Just to remove the threat of power. That's what's at play here. We can listen to this story and be incredibly upset at Herod and say, man, how could somebody be so evil? How could somebody be so mean and mean-spirited? And yet... None of us in here are kings, and I know you guys look good, but sometimes the heartbeat that is going on in Herod happens in our lives too, doesn't it? Here's what I mean. My life isn't going the way I think it should be. I move from apathy to anger. I move from apathy to frustration. Car breaks down a week before Christmas. I don't have money to pay for that. I become angry. I didn't get the raise, or I didn't get the Christmas bonus that I thought I should. It begins to bring anger in me. My relationships are not going the way I want them to go. I move from apathy to anger. We don't have a kingdom like Herod, but we do control some things in our own lives. And when that gets messed with, we can become angry i think if there's anything that we've learned from the last 2 years is the reality of the fact that we don't really control all that much whether it is a virus or political upheaval or whatever it is that we're talking about the truth is we don't control a lot and yet sometimes when things begin to go sideways in our world we get <laughs> we get to the point where we respond like the little kid who didn't get what he wanted under the tree We just hide it better because we're adults. If that's where you are today, if that's where you find your heart today, may I encourage you to repent. To repent. Through prayer, communicate your frustration with God, communicate your disappointment with God, communicate to Him what it is that you are angry about, and ask Him for forgiveness repent. Repent of the anger that is in your heart. Come to a loving God in humble repentance. You know, church, as we consider apathy, and then we're honest about some of the anger that can kind of happen in our hearts from time to time, both of those can can point us in the right direction. And we're going to see that when we look At Matthew chapter 2, we're going to pick it up again at verse 1. This is the right response. And now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship. Skip down to verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then they went into the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. But they didn't stop there. They opened their treasures, and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So who are these guys? Who are these magi? Why do we call them wise men? (laughs) Well, they're religious leaders. Most scholars believe they come from the area of Persia. And they were worshipers, but they worshipped something different. They worshipped kind of magical things. They were into the interpretation of dreams, into astrology. They were outsiders. And the fact of the matter is, you could draw up this story in a hundred different ways, and you would never put these men at the nativity. They didn't belong there. But stranger still is their response. Stranger still is their response to the baby. If you're keeping score, they were drawn from afar. They've come. They followed the star. They're here. They fell down and worshipped him. They brought him gifts. But they're not just any gifts. They're incredibly expensive gifts. Why? Because that's the gift that is fitting for a king. You see, the response of the Magi, the wise men, is one of adoration. It is a response of adoration, and that's what we see in the lives of the Magi genuine hearts of adoration and responses of faith. What we see is a group of men who are amazed. They're amazed. That's why they fall down in worship, that is why they adore the child. When we see grown men come to see a baby and they fall down in worship, they're not doing it because it's an ordinary child. They're doing it because something is different. This guy is the king. He's a baby, but he is the king. And that's why, some 2,000 years later, on a Christmas Eve in White Lake, Michigan, the Magi have a lot to teach us. Because what they've done is they've modeled the only proper response to the birth of Jesus, and the response is one of adoration. It's a response of adoration. Adoration is good and right, and it is the holy response that our king deserves. So when we consider the Christmas story, Through the eyes of the Magi, what we see is Jesus is worthy of far more than apathy, certainly worth more than anger. Jesus is worthy of our worship and our adoration because wise men worship Jesus. So as we close today, On Christmas Eve, the question is not what the Magi showed us. The question is, where is your heart posture? What is your response? Are you apathetic to the Christmas story, to the baby himself? Are you angry? Or are you ready to adore him? Because that is what he is worth. God invites you to come to the nativity. To come and engage with the baby. And respond in adoration. Amen.